0: Good evening, good evening. Thank you once again for listening to another KG, Fifth Ward, Wildcat, and Doc podcast. Colleagues, how are you doing this evening?
1: Doing well, doing okay. A lot of things on our on our minds, a lot of things going on these days. I presume you want to get going on your situation first since you're in a
0: foul mood. It is what it is. Doc, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well.
2: Excited to be
1: here.
0: I'm not going to get into the... the uh... Particular particulars of that issue. I want to talk about a few other things. First, uh, let's talk about two congressmen who want to uh, s- a send a letter to President NCA President Mark Emmert. Oh! Asking him to respond to more than two dozen questions about NCA practices and the responsibilities of its schools to provide quote rigorous academic opportunities and instruction to its student athletes. End quote. Doc, you abreast of this situation, sir? Yes, I am.
2: This is actually the second letter that has been issued to uh Mark the president Mark image the president of the NCAA. So this has become a political issue um because of how the money is being spent and it's being Really, what has made it a political issue? People will jump to the case and people saying that they just have, should have more to do. But really, what's gearing it towards this political situation is because of all the lawsuits. And so, what the lawsuits draws the interest to try to figure out what's taking place. So, whether they want to support it or um, go in the other direction, and they want to get all the information they can. So, again, this has become such a serious issue. This is, this is the second group of congressmen that have actually petitioned for such questions to be answered.
1: Now, at what point do they, the congressmen, take the next step and actually call
2: it? Uh, My understanding they already have is a plan schedule, so part of the information they have is in regards to the questions they're going to ask him when uh, he is required to come and speak uh, to a congressional panel that is making inquiries in regards to the NCAA because really this boils down because one of those lawsuits is obviously in regards to whether um, the NCAA should be in a position more like Postports with the antitrust. No. So the lawsuit is actually an antitrust or partial antitrust lawsuit which means that it's going to have to be kicked up to that level to get that authority to Congress to get that appeal in regards similar of what you've seen at the professional level, gaining antitrust law. So that's really why you start to see all these politicians, particularly at the congressional level, trying to find information. And they're going to ask some very intricate questions. And I think uh, the NCA is going to find themselves in some serious trouble because they're trying to use this amateur status. They quickly moved around before... um, current president, you had Miles Brand, it really changed the model. Recently after, or soon after I should say after the Olympics made amateurism the ability for those athletes to gain some likeness and some financial ability you quickly seen the NCAA steer around from using the amateur model word. They all of a sudden started creating this whole new terminology which is intriguing to me and they call it the college model. Which really? is supposed to be this hybrid model, <laughs> I suppose, of amateurism to the point where they can't even make money off their likeness. Well, you know that's up in the courts, and soon we'll probably have a judgment on it. And at this point, it's looking really good for Ed O'Bannon and those folks on that side in regards to all the stuff that was thrown out and the several questions that NCA had to answer. So it would really surprise me if it doesn't go in that favor, which is going to be a landmark um, component, and then you have obviously the northwestern uh, component that is' on the table in regards to unionization, and then you have the antitrust lawsuits and a couple of other smaller lawsuits. There's actually like two or three different antitrust lawsuits, and they're trying to decide whether they're going to pull them together or not because they're slightly different There's some cases of whether they should be
3: so this
2: is becoming very intriguing, very interesting, particularly for those that follow sports, even more so for those that write about it and looking at this issue for a while. Professors that teach sports law, professors that teach sports management on the sports law side, the sports ethics, and things of those nature. Those that have been opining and uh, arguing against the NCAA in regards to some of their restrictive rules. Also, those that have been talking about the economic oppression they're doing and how they're mistreating the athletes and when I say that I'm saying uh, purely from an economic standpoint of how they're not getting the value many economic professors have been talking about this for some time now and so I think the NCA is in a position uh where they're going to lose some of these legal battles which makes me more curious of was this push for the autonomy of the big five set up in such a way that they could survive if the lawsuits went in their favor, but even more so if they went against
0: them. Let, me, he, let me say a few things. Okay. Excuse me, Wildcat. <clears throat> now I tweeted link to the an article that I'm gonna read from I was in USA Today. My Twitter account is uh T H E H R Review. You can scroll down my timeline and, and I
3: retweeted it. and and,
0: it. and linked and read the article. But basically <clears throat> Congressman Elijah Cummings and Tony Cardenas uh, sent a letter to President NTA President Mark Emmert seeking details about how the NTA oversees educational matters, its handling of athletes' health, and its finances. <clears throat> they are also requesting the employment agreements for Emmert and other top NTA executives, including quote now the specific criteria on which compensation bonuses. Or other financial incentives are awarded and whether those criteria relate to the academic performance of student athletes at member institutions, end quote. As Doc touched the letter asked that Emmert and the NTA provide, uh, the requested information by June 9th. And the date of that is important because June 9th is the start date of Ed O'Bannon, basically, and the antitrust lawsuit against the, N- the NCAA regarding the use of college athletes' names and likenesses and the NCAA association's limits on what major college football and men's basketball players can receive for playing those sports. So that's a big part of it. And also there's another uh, co-sponsored deal in Congress that this follows, and it's a little bit different than the first one, but those provisions, they're trying to get information on the increased due process for NTA athletic programs accused of misconduct and making four year scholarships mandatory for athletes participating in contact slash collision sports. Those are the two things that I was going to ask the question on. I
1: the first one was uh medical situation. We've all witnessed what what transpires when a student athlete of a non-revenue sport gets injured. It, it is up, basically, you're at the, uh, university's mercy as far as getting things done down the road. Uh, it is, it, sad, but a true statement. Uh, that when you, so when, when folks hear about, uh, football, or basketball athlete getting insurances and all, their uh, well, let me take this back. Their family applying for insurance. And ensuring the health, uh, the loss of income down the road is left on the family. It's
3: because the universities are not as they, not really at, at fault, may,
1: uh, maybe not at fault or maybe at fault, but they are not res- totally responsible for the health and well-being of the student athlete down the road long-term as we witnessed, uh, one of the, uh, Tulane kids uh, that was injured in a football game years ago, uh, was signed by the Saints and all in a, uh, symbolic,
3: symbolic, symbolic.
1: Si- situation. Um, it just off, it just tells you, uh, shows you where the situation, you know, at what point that the universities feel that they are, whether they are obligated or not. The other was the four year, uh, scholarships. I prefer those. Only because what it does, it guaran—it it pretty much guarantees a student, not a student athlete, but a student, an opportunity to finish out whether that student athlete or the athlete gets hurt or not. They can't just arbitrarily pull the scholarship away from the student. And like last uh, on our last podcast, it was explained to me that for whatever reason. Kids moving off to the NBA or the NFL and beyond, their scholarships are not counted against what goes on 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 campus. And I think that they should be. Because if you're putting the rest, putting what's left on the students that are there, and then you're bringing somebody else in, you don't know what's on that student's mind, especially if it's a transfer, because you know it wasn't, that kid didn't transfer out of the classroom, especially if they're on the same level, the uh, division one to division one, they're moving over because of that sport, and that kid may not be academically ready. Oh come on,
0: Wildcat, are you saying athletes I'm leave saying colleges that- transfer because of the? Their sport, yes, Re- just like in academics or, in high school, or whether they're because their parents moved or something like that. It's all about the sport. Oh, never just, that Wildcat. No, surely just you like guessed. in
1: high school, it happens. Surely it you It goes guessed. from a public school
0: to a private, surely or from you a just private to, beat to a the purpose Of the student athlete, I mean the athlete student. Oops, what I am I trying to say? Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Coding all of this. I may have gone a long way around it, but at the end of the day, if you if
3: that parent. Looks up and sees dollar sign down the road. That parent will make a decision
1: after listening to somebody whispering in their ear. Perhaps. For,
0: for the betterment of the stu- of the athlete rather than the student. And let me think let me add this. Yesterday, it gets better. It gets better. We're getting, we're getting into sports law. Legalese here on, on the Doc KG his book out so I can, and 5th Board <laughs> so you, Wildcat You, you the head with it today. <laughs> A Boston City Councilor, Josh Zakim, if I'm mispronouncing your name, sir, I apologize. Last name is spelled Z-A-K-I-M, filed two ordinance designed to protect college athletes in Boston, as well as take on the NTA. This is part of the sports 35. law uh, blog spot. The ordinance the first ordinance is a college athlete bill of rights. And which says this you're gonna love this. This is gonna take a while, to listen, so bear with me. Steps in where the NCAA has failed to adequately safeguard the educational and health rights of college athletes. The Bill of Rights guarantees that a college athlete Notice they're not they're not writing I'm not saying student athlete. The Bill of Rights guarantees that a college athlete who receives an athletic scholarship from a college or university in Boston, who receive an equivalent scholarship commitment from his or her university that extends throughout the undergraduate career. This commitment remains even when the college athlete suffers an injury that ends his or her participation in athletics or simply falls out of favor with his or her coach. Quote, if the mission of the NCAA and its member institutions truly is to educate, then scholarships should not be renewable at the sole discretion of the school, said the counselor. Asking college athletes to make a four-year commitment to their schools without any reciprocal commitment from the school is unjust and hypocritical, end quote. The Bill of Rights also requires that colleges Colleges and athletes in Boston, which grant athletic scholarships, provide college athletes with comprehensive health insurance throughout their careers, as well as reimbursement for any uncovered health expenses relating to athletic injury. Moreover, if a college athlete requires medical care beyond his or her playing career, the university will will be responsible for providing that care or covering its costs. Quote, When a college athlete has committed his or her body to competing on behalf of a school, the least that school can do is guarantee that college athlete's health care. Forcing a college athlete to go out of pocket to pay for an injury suffered in his or her sport, as I know happens to college athletes in Boston and elsewhere, cannot be tolerated. End quote. That's from the city councilman. What's up, sir?
3: By time, somebody stepped up. And challenge. I
1: just that somebody needs to step up and challenge. That's in a position of...
2: I think th- more th- than ever, people are becoming more educated in terms of the NCA and what they thought happened and exist to what has actually happened. Many people for the longest still thought that a four-year scholarship actually meant four years, not the one-year renewable. So a lot of us that are in the business... Take it for granted that we realize this, and people don't uh one of the other issues you talked about was the injury and, and the fact that several schools, particularly the larger well off schools in terms of the big five, do provide medical coverage for elite student athletes in schools uh but people don't realize that they don't have to
3: the other part of
2: it is the fact that don't any of them really cover things after they finish school, and oftentimes they have lingering injuries. For example, there's a movie that you may want to look at if people do not necessarily want to read all this, but still want to get a better understanding. There's a movie called "School: The Price of College Sports. It's a very uh, intriguing movie that talks about the framework, the NCAA, where it started from, what it started to change over the years, and provides a lot more truth in regards to what's taking place. So you might want to be interested in, 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 in grabbing that, uh, from wherever you can get it. Redbox or different places that you, Netflix and things of that nature where you get movies or whether you want to buy it online for your own recorded purposes. Cause I did to play it to students so they get a better picture of understanding it. Uh, but those are the frameworks that you're starting to see that are very intrigued. When I was at the CSR and uh Columbia South Carolina the collegiate sports research institute this movie was shown and provide a great deal of in detail in what is really transpiring in the college athletics so you start to see this play at every different level you'll continue to see it um, there's a change in the air that we've talked about now the question is is uh, at what level will the nca look like in the next year or two I think it's going to be vastly changed. We're going to see a lot more remuneration, if you would, of athletes having a lot more say in what's going on. They're going to also have a lot more ability. But what I think is interesting with some of the questions you talked about, many of the schools were putting the four-year athletic scholarship on the table. For one example, Northwestern to um, say something that they were doing that was very positive. They were one of the first schools when the Big Ten issued that they could, after NCAA came out and said you could get four year scholarships. They were one of the first institutions that locked that in to their credit. But even more so than that, what you'll start finding out is the fact that now they're looking at it being mandatory. The institutions I think that's going to be really interesting are going to be those that are outside of the Big Five. How will that affect them? Particularly when you start looking at the legislation in terms of the medical cost, I think it's appropriate. It's going to be very intriguing in in regards to how institutions are going to afford that cost. Um, if you look at it in terms of the total revenue that the NCAA has, I believe more than enough money out there. But as we know, about 78%, almost 80% of that money is going to the Big Five, which means you're talking about less than uh, a third, Really, less than a quarter when you talk about 65 from schools versus the other 200 some
3: schools.
2: You know, a quarter of the schools getting all the money, getting 80% of the money, essentially 20%. So there's not enough to spread around when you do it. And I really think that they're in a position now where they're going to try to haul some of that money and actually go away and look at becoming more of a minor league system um, where the other institutions are going to become more of an amateur. Level of sports. So it's going to be interesting to see the dichotomy and how this all splits up when all this stuff really plays out.
3: And let me say, uh, I believe that the one year of renewable scholarships legislation is almost 40 years old. Yeah. It started in 1973. So, uh,
0: but honestly, I didn't really know about Know about it until maybe twenty years ago yeah. that it you were like athletes were like getting four year scholarships because right. and I, you're
2: in the business so as you got more in the business the more you found out so think about people that are not in the business right and do not think that coaches are going out there when they're recruiting kids and telling them you know this is a one year renewal they're going out there and say hey this is a four year scholarship
3: membership. yeah
2: and so the yeah. parents are not reading the details and remember I told you the NCAA for the longest forbid uh parents to really having lawyers provide legalized information, you know, because they were calling it representation. <laughs> yeah, legal so, representation. And so uh, there was that sticky hand. So parents, even if they wanted to, couldn't really get that help. They could go behind the doors and get it. But still, if you wanted to get the scholarship, you had to sign off. I mean, it wasn't like you had any other option unless you were just going to do the academic side. So this is really getting quite intriguing, and you're going to see many changes. So uh, all the listeners out there, continue to listen to us because we're going to continue to give you these updates. As this legislation starts to change, whether that's governmental from the United States or whether that's from the NCA, also the court hearings, uh, as soon as they come out, we're going to tweet it, we're going to Facebook it, we're going to discuss it on the podcast. So continue to listen so if you want a framework, of one side of how we look at it, we'll discuss the issues and kind of give you different layers of what is actually said, what's interpreted for you, and we'll actually tell you what it means for the various institutions, whether that is the Big Five at the Division One level, those FBS programs outside of the Big Five, the FCS program, obviously HBCU programs, we'll give you a framework and to some degree even division two. What will all this mean in this landscape uh, finally all the, as they say, the dust settled where we're, the land can be.
0: And, uh, who are you, sir? How can folks get in touch with me and find you on the internet?
2: Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. I'm a professor over here at Texas Southern University in sports management. Some of the issues you were talking about, sports, uh, law, we actually have a professor over here at the Texas Southern University Law School called Walter T. Champion who actually writes several sports law books and the one that we have on the table here that I was, uh,
3: beating you over the
2: head with as you said. <laughs> and we might have to pull it back up when we get to maybe uh oh, yeah, Donald Sterling <laughs> to give you some issues that I'm still trying to figure out why everybody okay. swears that he's gonna be able yeah, to that'll be next. It out. But with oh. that said, um, follow me on Facebook, Twitter. Uh I tweet information out there just on my own in terms of HBCUs, but if you're looking for information about the uh, legislation that is coming out um, I always retweet stuff that I get, or if I find it, I link it and send it out, so I'm a good resource in terms of finding some of the latest information in the sporting landscape, whether that's the professional level or at the collegiate level or directly related to HBCU. I provide all that type of information. I often do have a area of interest that looks more at the African uh, diaspora, whether that's uh, from afar as well as London with some of the professors I followed, Ben Carrington at the University of Texas, but is out of London. He does a lot of stuff, uh sociology speaking, not only with the enumeration, if you would, in regards to racial and political issues in the States, but he does a lot in London and, and throughout Europe and brings in some soccer information uh, that is very interesting. He brought up the issue. uh While we were dealing with Donald Sterling, there was an the issue with the FIFA president having to, uh, kind of apologize for his statements with uh, email in regards to women issues in women's soccer. So we can get all that kind of information out there to you, uh, as well as um, some other professors that are uh, involved with Billy Hawkins, the professor at University of Georgia. So um, Josh Cooper, that's at the University of Connecticut. Keela Carter, that's at Texas A&M University. So not only am I doing stuff within Texas Southern University, but, uh, making major connections across the landscape with professors throughout the country. So I'm not just giving information that I believe this is discourse and,
3: uh,
2: dialogue that I have with many professionals in the field that have been in it many years, um, that look at me as a resource, but also as a depository of information. Okay. So I'd be glad to have it. You can hit me directly, at email Cavill at tac. Agency.com.
0: And we're grateful that you are part of these podcasts.
1: How can, how can folks
0: find you? You can find me <clears throat> at, uh, on,
3: on Twitter, uh, YouTube, Blogspot, uh, Facebook, TweetDeck, AKSVVCSR, and on Twitter, I am JLWoodley1. I want to touch on it. Are
0: you finished? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say this and then we're going to get into Sterling. And we're going to talk, we're, we're going to talk sports too. Just bear with us. Listen, we've got a lot to talk about here. This is sport. But this is, this sports. Oh, yeah, it's important. This is important to us. So I think it's important to listeners as well. But that's due do on this as one of the reasons that was given initially for going away from the four year scholarship. It was financial.
3: To what extent? Studies at
0: the time showed a high percentage of athletes quit their sport but stayed in college with irrevocable scholarships. So that was some of the justification going from the four-year deal to one-year renewal.
2: Yeah, that was what was on paper. But you'll see a shift in the landscape that always goes back and forth. And the shift goes from coaches pushing their agenda, particularly football coaches. Um some degree, you've seen this, shift lately with basketball coaches. But really, it's often driven by the football coaches. And then you see it go back on the other side by the president. So you'll see every 5, 10, sometimes 15 years, the pendulum switch back and forth from presidents having quite a bit of power to the coaches having a lot of power. What's interesting with this last ten of them, uh they're swinging back. Now it's about the athletic directors and the commissioners pushing for power. And just recently, if you look at what's going on with the Big Five, the presidents who've had a lot of power and autonomy are getting beat up by all these reporters and analysts out here and writers, researchers, economists talking about this issue that the presidents for a lot of ways are trying to back out and they're pushing the control. But in this case, they don't want to give the control back to the coaches because they know what direction they're going. So now they're gonna to try to give the code to the athletic directors and commissioners and they ask the office that that they know the most about the business side of sports. Which has some truth to it, but I think the uh athletic directors and the commissioners oftentimes may listen too far to the coaches, so a lot of ways the coaches will get a lot of that control and so it'll be interesting when the presidents will come back around and try
0: to put that. I talked to the NBA, talk about the NBA yesterday. This is on my, uh, men's hoops blog, Houston Roundball Review, men's hoops blog, which you can, uh, see on the, go to my homepage at HoustonRoundballReview.com or go directly to the blog and start following them. As well, the NBA yesterday initiated a charge seeking to terminate the ownership of Donald Sterling in the Los Angeles Clippers. If the NBA Board of Governors sustained the charge by a three-quarter vote, All ownership interest in the Clippers will be terminated and the team will be sold to new owners. The NBA Constitution, Wildcat, the NBA Constitution provides Mr. Sterling with the opportunity to respond to the charge by May 27th, as well as the right to appear and make a presentation at a special meeting of the Board of Governors. This hearing, which is planned for June 3rd, will be presided over by NBA Board of Governors Chairman Glenn Taylor, the controlling governor of the Minnesota Timberwolves. The charge asserts that Mr. Sterling engaged in conduct that has damaged that and continues to damage the NBA and its teams. Among other things, Mr. Sterling disparaged African Americans and minorities, directed a female acquaintance not to associate publicly with African Americans or to bring African Americans to two clippers games and criticized African Americans for not supporting their communities. Mr. Sterling's actions and positions significantly undermine the NBA's efforts to promote diversity and inclusion, damage the NBA's relationship with its fans, harm NBA owners, players, and Clippers team personnel, and impair the NBA's relationship with marketing and merchandising partners, as well as with government and community leaders. Mr. Sterling engaged in other misconduct as well, including issuing a false- and misleading press statement about this matter. All of these acts provide grounds for termination under several provisions of the NBA Constitution and related agreements. Later on Monday, the NBA broke it down and got specific. Tell them what? And what this did is, they tell? And this is also a blog post at Houston Round Bar View Men's Hoops blog.
2: Very informative.
0: Keith Facts Supporting the Charge as evidenced by the recording made public on April 26, 2014, and by a subsequent media interview, which was a disaster he did with Anderson Cooper on CNN, Donald Sterling has taken discriminatory actions and supported discriminatory positions that have had, and will continue to have, a material adverse impact on the NBA and its teams. Among other things, Mr. Sterling, now check this out, Wildcat, and I'm listeners, listening Disparaged African Americans and minorities. Denigrated the contribution of NBA players. Directed a female acquaintance not to associate publicly with African Americans. Admonished that acquaintance for posting pictures of herself with African Americans on social media. Directed that acquaintance not to bring African Americans to flip games. And criticized African Americans for not supporting their communities. Our salves are basically a repeat of an earlier part, but it gets better. These actions and positions Significantly undermine and call into question the NBA's commitment to diversify and inclusion. Damage the NBA's relationship with its fans, etc., etc. I don't get to this part here, in case you didn't know this. In the course of the investigation into Sterling's conduct, it was discovered that relevant evidence was destroyed. False and misleading evidence was provided to the NBA's investigator. And the Clippers issued a, fa- a false and misleading press statement in this matter. <clears throat> and then they break it down into basis for termination. And they cite the violations of the Constitution. Specific articles in the Constitution which they believe are, are violated. It's all here. Listen, you can go to my blog, read this, learn some. In case you did not know, they cite Article 13 d Article 13A, Violation of the duty of loyalty, which is under New York law, all member teams of the NBA owe each other a duty of loyalty to, to support the league in the attainment of its proper purposes. The Clippers breached this duty of loyalty through the act described above, which were injurious, harmful, and disruptive to the NBA. An NBA membership may be terminated if a member or owner willfully violates any of the provisions of the Constitution and bylaws resolutions or agreements of the association as Doc pointed in two previous podcasts various provisions of the Constitution were willfully violated when the Clippers destroyed evidence provided false and misleading evidence and issued a false and misleading public statement as described above
2: and stated he would not pay the fine.
0: Exactly. I'm getting to that right now. Violations of Constitution Article 13C (laughs) An NBA Keep membership may read. be terminated I'm upon listening. the failure of a I'm member listening. or owner to pay any I'm indebtedness owning to, owing to the league. This provision has been violated because through the acts of Mr. Sterling, I don't even really feel like I right, call the man Mr. because that's out of respect. Sterling has not paid and has stated a refusal to pay the $2.5 million fine that was imposed on Sterling on April 29th. Termination of Clippers entire membership including Mrs. Sterling's interest in the team, is called for by the Constitution and related agreements and is the only viable means for bringing Sterling's interest in the Clippers to an end. Under the Constitution and related agreements, Sterling's words, actions, and views are attributable to and deemed to be the actions of the Clippers itself. More specifically, if the board, by a three-fourth vote, sustains Termination charges on the basis of Sterling's words, actions, and views. The Constitution calls for the entirety of L.A. Clippers membership in the NBA to be automatically terminated.
1: Well, as a billionaire, basically you kiss my grits. I'm not paying no fine. I'm getting me another legal t- team to, to put together and I'm just going to just linger this out. I may die trying, but I don't care. And if so, a couple of you all that night and and I'm let let, let him a I'm l I'ma And i I'm am and I'ma get beat down and don't care. Because of the being there, the one thing I got holding in my pocket is we done all had
3: conversations. And I'm just saying. I think that's enough for right now. But Doc,
1: I appreciate you all. I'm turning up. I'm paying my. I'm paying my lawyer and all to do what he's supposed to do, Wasting and wait, and, and don't care because because right oh, now he
2: cares about money.
1: And the other
2: thing that uh what, what, what now he am, what he in, am I
1: wrong? Am I wrong in what what his, what his mindset is right now? It's no, just out right in left field.
2: I there
0: mean, there really are here. NBA owners who have said disparaging remarks about homosexuals on record, and he probably use quotes from those from those owners, yeah. public record as a position of, well, you didn't do anything to them, so why are you going to do anything to me? So that will be, I'm sure that's going to be part of the lawyer's strategy. Go right. ahead, Todd.
2: But the problem he has with is even if he pulls that out, uh, which I don't know is a legal defense, which is what I'm trying to get to. It's weak. When you go to it's court, weak. the judge is going to ask you, what is your case? So if he's taking the NBA to court, He can't come in there with a disposition of saying this happened and they did that. That's not against the law. So really his major case that he's going to probably try to bring in some discriminatory action. But he he hasn't been discriminated against and it's going to be very hard to prove that case. Discriminatory action that anybody knows is a hard subject to prove. In and of itself, anybody's going to do
3: that. And that's true. That's so, true. That's true. It <laughs>
2: that goes both ways. The other issue that you have is the fact that even the fact that he listens to some lawyer that's going to take his money and do the work that he's going to do doesn't mean a whole bunch to me. But the fact that he wouldn't pay the 2.5 and you just see how that was going. Oh, to yeah. In, yeah. In the case, but yeah. I don't think people realize that all that does is make it look litigious as he was, but that means all the revenue that he's going to get from the NBA is not going to go to him. It's going to be halted in the court, so all that has stopped payment too. So he gave up 2.5 million instead of the 30 million that he would have got from the league. Oh
0: yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong.
2: <laughs> so that in itself is not nah. too intense. His, his
0: interview on Anderson Cooper can be, yeah, used, can in be court, used in the court. court of oh long. yeah. So open open yeah, he
2: public, he,
1: so. He, you know. And on and the money side, it. he finished the season. Last series with no signage. Right. It, it, of, and so of, the of other visible. issue that you,
2: I was just going to bring yeah. it up, I, I, t- is t- the t- fact is that even if he brings that onto the table and somehow it's allowed in there, all they're going to say is, "Well, that's true," but none of those comments created a situation where league players were stating that they would not play. They have that on record that they were going to boycott, and the fact that you had literally corporations pulled down their signing. Yeah, That wasn't a threat. That happened. There yeah. was oh, yeah. signings in
1: there. Yeah. I mean, folks, when you look back at those... It's, so at those he could use all games. that and all he could do
2: is maybe try to embarrass some people and he could possibly do that, but the problem with your situation and all that is is a precursor to try to get the NBA owners not to vote for
1: 75%. And I but think once they do
2: is. that, it doesn't matter. But the problem with them his case is is the fact that the players are pushing this issue. The corporations have already made a statement,
3: just so they have no. They other...
2: love
1: him, right? He did they they still they love him. But they collecting that's... a check from me,
2: right? Right, but now you
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, now am I wrong? Because
2: but that doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, you're I, saying that's what he's saying, but we know that's not true. Just because he says
3: it doesn't make it true.
0: You got to go from there. All right, let's talk about. Uh, Kevin Love, Minnesota Timberwolves All Star power forward. Where, uh, where to, does he
1: want to go? Not just where folks want to send wants him. Wants to win. Where
0: does he? He change? hasn't said. He, he's smart. He's not. Yeah, do. he's not going to say. Not going to put all the cards on the table. He wants to win. He's tired of missing the playoffs. putting no great numbers and not getting to the playoffs. He wants to win. Minnesota can take the chance of holding on to him with the chance of. Re-signing him when he outside of, when he becomes a free agent with the belief that signing, re-signing with, with Minnesota will get him a fifth year on the contract and 30 million dollars extra money. So that, that, that's a strategy that they are clinging to, but Dwight Howard already proved that he signed with the Rockets, he left the Lakers after one year, signed the Rockets for four years and less money because he wanted to leave Lakers. So Timberwolves are after he want to, to get out of Orlando. So Timberwolves are in, a, are in a tough spot. They can risk losing him for nothing or trade for him and get equal, close to equal value. Teams being mentioned, teams that win, Golden State, Chicago, are winning teams. Other teams that are famous in marquee franchises are Boston and the Lakers who both are in lottery and did not finish in the top three in tonight's lottery. <laughs> and then, of course, most important locally, the Houston Rockets, because some folks believe that the Rockets have the assets to make a deal, to convince Minnesota to uh deal love to here. Mm. And I'm not sure that that is really true, because if they're not going to give me Taylor Parsons, I don't want Omer Ashton. I don't want Jeremy Lin. I already had Ricky Rubio. So I don't want them. So, yeah, but you still have the issue that, uh, they might take
2: basically what they can get
0: that, that, at
2: the that, expense so of losing. And the reason that the Rockets are also in there is because of head coach Kevin McHale. So, oh yeah. Previous fan exactly. With Minnesota and his proposed relationship with Love. And that's kind of how they got their name in the hat because of that relationship. And there's some thought that it was a good relationship and Love would seriously consider you. So it's going to play out. I think he has, obviously, uh, as most players have, very good uh representation from an agent. And he's going to keep it close to the vest. He leaked it out early, purposely, so he could get the talk out there and kind of get some feelers from what team uh, would have his interest. And he's going to do his diligence in terms of talking to those teams and find out which one truly has some interest in terms of Assets and what they would put out there, and, and those kind of things, and uh, to see if they're willing to do a trade during the season, and to re-up him where he can still get the max deal he does in a year, or is he going to go on the free agent market? Yes, yeah, to really test it and uh essentially go to probably a more a team that he thinks suits his skills more, allows them to continue to be in a position to be an All Star. And obviously move towards winning a championship. That's one thing
0: a team that trades for Kevin Love now takes the chance of will uh, resign with them next summer. Right. So it will be interesting to see what team decide. Because, you know, some teams will say, I'm not going to make a deal for you unless we're convinced you're going right. to resign with us. Right. So it will play out. It's kind of interesting right. to see how it's going to play out. The Rockets are in the mix. Um, so. Um, Stay tuned for, you know, Rocket fans. I know you're listening to uh, these podcasts. So continue listening and we'll give you in- insight on that deal as well. The Rockets have, we might as well go ahead and talk about this. Sorry news. Um, the Rockets do have the 25th, currently, the 25th pick in the 2014 NBA draft. The draft lottery was held this evening and for the second consecutive year, the Cleveland Cavaliers won the lottery. They will have the first pick in the draft. As of right now, they could Use it as a as a chip and maybe make a deal for Kevin Love. Correct.
2: So, Great. Very good.
0: Uh um, So <clears throat> go ahead.
2: Just now, you know, as we enter this, let's let's play that out a little bit. A couple questions come to mind. Do you think they seriously try to play the angle where they trade the pick, particularly where they are as a franchise and having to? The second part of that question: uh Will they pick a Canadian as the second year in a row as the number
0: one pick? That'd be. Andrew Andrew uh, Wiggins, yes, who Dog is speaking of from Kansas. He is from Canada. Last year's top dra- overall draft pick, Anthony Bennett, was was a bust. He did, he had a horrible year. You know so. We'll see if they decide to select Wiggins. Uh, package, Why not package the pick? They, they're a very young team. They got Kyrie Irving, and they, and they need to do everything to convince Kyrie Irving to re-sign with them.
2: Any word out there what? Irving is looking for, I mean, obviously you always hear the term that kids like to win, and I think obviously there's only one team that ultimately wins. Uh, Often times, that means going to a playoff and being in the Knicks. Uh, but from what you've heard out there, being in the business, being actually in the arena at times and listening to different talks and players and interview and all the things that you do, uh, what is kind of a word on the street or maybe you've heard directly, what is he
0: looking for? He and the thing is, the Cavs fired Mike Brown, the a head coach, as well. Right. So it's tough it's to say. A new GM, right? Nothing. So one of the reasons right. The GM wouldn't. So it's tough to say what direction that go. he's he's leaning. And there's already speculation that LeBron can opt thought of his contract. He's going to come back to Cleveland play with Kyrie Irving. You know, I think that's kind of far-fetched. far-fetched. I don't want to say it's far-fetched, but with the Cavs winning the lottery tonight, it may have become less far-fetched. Because the Cavs have a lot of of assets right now to become <laughs> a, a very good team quickly.
2: So you think LeBron is going to stop the run that he's on, depending whether they win a championship this year or not, with the leadership he sees in Miami, his family is now comfortable down there. Personally, I don't know. I think he's going to stay with the Heat. I don't.
0: No, nah, but Dwayne Wade going
2: to something that he's comfortable. Bad with. Bad knees yeah.
0: and Chris yeah. Bosh and his yeah. 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 inconsistency. I think that he's going to make some changes. Yeah, I definitely think some
2: changes, but I think they have some options. But I don't
0: think LeBron's going to leave. No, I don't, personally. No, I know some other, other people think that he's going to leave, but I don't think see that's going to happen at all.
2: I think he may go back to Cleveland eventually, but I think it's too early for him with the run he has and the success he has. Because we all know that he's chasing Kobe and Ultimate and Jordan from least trying to match what they did in terms of championship. Right. So I think until he sees that run – <laughs> not coming to an existence in Miami, I think it doesn't, it's not realistic that he's going to move out of it. But I think at some point uh, if Cleveland is in a position where they can continue his run of championships after he kind of does what he does in Miami and I'm suggesting three in a row or four out of five years, something like that you know,
0: that kind of run we might do it. And we'll see. Uh Last week we discussed possibilities of some head coaching changes. Uh, the Pistons hired Stan Van Gundy as president and head coach. I am thrilled with that. Only bright spot of this <laughs> crappy season that's not over with the Stones not getting a losing he that had a lot of power lottery pick.
2: Do you think he's going to be able to do it as a GM? Uh, obviously, he's gonna it's, hire it's a tough. Player yeah. It's tough to be a for, or,
0: you know, a coach to wear two hats like that. And I think he's going to have to hire people who we trust you see some
2: success of that at what basically San, San Antonio and the um, Clippers are trying to do, right? What, you it's know, it's Doc too early Rivers.
1: to really say whether they yeah, and and I think the way the the structure is set up as far as moving players around now is different, where you can just you know you can not so much pick and choose, but you can uh too many numbers and all got to match up in order just to get one or two players to even just to compete. And yeah, interrupt. and I think
2: people got to remember this cap is coming in, and so this cap is changing the way that we see teams create teams. Miami got right under the cap before it really exists, so they're over the luxury, so they're paying it. they on the run, so obviously yeah, Aaron yeah. Has, the owner has the money is going to pay it. Now, I think you talked about that it looks like the cap will go up
0: about $5 million, five million dollars.
2: Dollars, so that's going to give you some more room. To be able to re these
0: players and things like that, and it's it's a you know we'll see. Also, Steve Curry chose to go to the Warriors rather than the Knicks. Hey, it's, we talked about it last mm-hmm. podcast that it was a better fit, better team. No, they, you and, know, and they're ready. They they are they are set up to to win now. So you know it's you know, it's, it's ready-made for them. One so. or two
1: players away from from being having enough depth
3: to extend themselves in a in a postseason pl- uh, situation. I kind of like that.
0: I wanna shift gears and take this from a different angle. I joked about this two podcasts ago that I may need to have a uh we may need to have a Yukon Huskies section in our in our podcast. I didn't talk I didn't discuss the huskies last podcast. I'm gonna make up for that right now. <clears throat> wealthy get wealthier? Yes, sir. Is that what it is? Yes indeed. Monday evening. Is this my sixth isn't that my six footer? somebody
1: at least six feet?
0: Monday. Oh, no question. Monday <laughs> evening. Monday evening. And, and it was, and it's ironic too, because I don't do it. I'll be honest, listeners, and, and to my colleagues. I don't spend as much time on the uh, high school recruiting, college recruiting, looking at high school channel like I used to. I don't have the time to do it like I used to. But yesterday, I just happened to look at rankings on the girl's side at uh, Ho- Hoop Girls. Oh, probably 6 o'clock evening. Just uh, reading some info about some young ladies who had committed. And one person who, who had not committed, had not, you know, right now you don't sign, These are class of 2015, was a young lady named Katie Lou Samuelson from moder- Modern High School, California. At the time, she had not made a choice. Uh USA basketballs has their trials going on now for... Uh, under, under 18, U17, U18 competition, the international competition coming up in, the, in a few weeks. And, uh, that's going on, that training in Colorado Springs. And I just so happened to, I saw her name and it clicked in my head and I thought, like, oh, she should be getting close to making a decision. Hour or so passes, I didn't think anything of, I did some more, you know, did some work. I get back on Twitter. Bam. Bam! There it is now. Katie Lou Samuelson made her choice. The six-foot-three wing, six-foot-three, and some call her guard. So, you know, guard, forward, wing player.
1: you got ball handling skills. Yeah, and she That's does.
0: Verbal to Gina Oryama and the Connecticut Huskies. Now, mind you, like I said, she is the number one player in the class of 2015. Gina already had, I think, a top ten pick. Uh, I mentioned yeah. two podcasts yeah. ago. So, as I put, I, as I tweeted, retweeted. To my colleague uh, John Altavilla with the Harper Current, the wealthy get wealthier, and folks ask
1: me why I keep harping on 5'11, six-foot ball handling women's basketball player. There's a reason. During the time that Tennessee was on their run, other than Shannon Barber, she was the smallest point guard they had had in a long while, below the the. Uh, Below five, uh, five eleven. Yeah, she, five she four. But she was exceptional. She was a multi bowls of women's basketball at the time. She got a lot of things done. And
0: listen, let's, let's and, no, it's, it's, it's let's, just let's let's go. Let me go ahead and say it out that Public, with something we already we knew years ago. But and that some folks when? who listen may not know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Wildcat. Listen to this, Doc. Correct me if I'm wrong. Shannon Bobbitt's final two choices of college to play ball, which come out of Juco, were Tennessee and who? University of Houston Cougars. Say that again, sir? And who? University of Houston Cougars. Thank you very much. Okay. And folks, they were
1: real close. Real close. And we're not just talking about
0: what we heard. We got this directly from
1: the horse's mouth.
0: So, you don't hear that? Other places. That's why we do these podcasts. That's why we do these. So, but yeah, the wealthy get wealthier. And I wrote about it in my women's hoops blog. I plug my blogs. I made a lot of blog posts the last few days. And um I said, and I tweeted to Katie last night. Good luck to her. Congrats on her decision. But also, good luck to the Houston Cougars, the other teams in the American Athletic Conference, and the rest of the women's college basketball teams in NCAA Division One. Now, my take, my question is, gentlemen, I'm listening. Is this continuation of ultra talent going to UConn good for women's college basketball? One
1: of her quotes that she mentioned in the interview, when Gino speaks to you, he doesn't pull punches. He speaks to you direct and give you truth. That means if he's asking you to come and play for me, He's telling you directly what he needs you for, no sideways if you know you if he says he needs a wing, you're coming to play that position, and you will compete for that position.
3: It won't be given to you. She took that heard that, and a decision was made
1: because apparently, without her saying anything else. What I read in the net, I may have been reading it too far, but somebody in the recruiting
3: process, a couple of schools, were not totally, um,
1: forthright, forthright. there we go, I'm not going to say, and I'm going to leave it like that, because that leads you broad, broad base, am I wrong?
2: No, no, that's what I'm saying, to answer your question directly in my opinion, I think it's not very good for women's basketball on a holistic level on a business per- perspective in terms of generating the most interest uh, which leads to revenue generation in terms of television interest so I, I do not think it's very good in regards to further developing the game and getting other great coaches out there to where games are competitive again I'll compare it to the best league out there that does it, obviously at the professional level, but it's the NFL. One of the reasons that the NFL is so popular outside of what many people talk about, the, the carnage or the very part of it or just the gladiating part of the sport is the fact that the term on any given Sunday really holds true from the standpoint that at the end of the season oftentimes you'll see teams that have had very good records against teams that haven't had very good records, and oftentimes you really can't dictate the outcome of the game, which draws interest because people want to watch because they want to see it. The same reason why reality TV is popular in general is the reason why sports are really uh, excited about these. Because it's the truest form of reality out there. It's not even scripted like, what we hear about in terms of reality television people like life. Now, the one part that I will say that is intriguing that there are some good parts about the fact if you're looking at creating a franchise, if you would, that has mega interest and can create its own television platforms, such as the University of Texas at the collegiate level, you know, such as several of teams in the SEC. Ohio State and Michigan, or if you look at the professional level when you talk about the Lakers or Boston, New York, uh, in terms of what it's able to do monetarily, not necessarily in terms of wins, but in terms of football, Dallas Cowboys, uh, teams of that nature, when you look at baseball, the Yankees, Dodgers, you look at soccer, uh, Manchester United, when you're talking about creating that brand, then for UConn, it's very good. Because they're gonna create a brand likeness in terms of greatness and marketability. Second and none because they're starting to get on that level where the expectation is so high in the brand awareness. They're very good. But the problem they're gonna run into, unlike the other team, is their exposure fee. Uh, they need to continue to get that exposure. And if you, it's hard for television to sell to people to put on a game, It is not really competitive. You know, One of the worst things about the Final Four was the fact that it was lopsided. One of the best things about the Final Four is many people's expectation is that this would be a great game. You had two undefeated teams, two teams that were very talented, two teams that coaches didn't like each other. All those things that you can sell. You can sell that to people. So the interest was high, but you would see as the game got away, the numbers dropped off. So that's the problem you have when you have one team that is that dominant in the arena, and even with basketball that is built on brand franchises, one they want to do a better job of keeping revenue in 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 terms of spreading the wealth. But the other reason is is they want to continue to interest, and part of that is making sure that that you get different championships. Oddly enough. Major League Baseball has done it uniquely where it still has not a real salary cap. But one of the things that they try to put out there is the fact that they've had different World Series winners over the last 10 years, several different ones. And what they're trying to show when they do that is to show that they have a brand awareness and team that are all involved. So people should have a better interest in what's taking place. You're
0: not going to be able to tell me who the winner is before it happens. Right. And as we continue this Yukon Huskies segment of our KG, <laughs> Fifth World Wildcat, and Doc podcast, a couple of things, and I will give you a chink in the Yukon Husky armor that just came out within the last couple of hours. But before I get to that news, back to Katie Lou Samuelson, joining or verballing to uh, the Huskies, She becomes the third high school player to join the Huskies class of 2015, joining Nafisa Collier, who's the other top 10 player I referenced earlier, and Maryland's Dejanae Boykin, another top 10 player in the country. You'll love this. The class will also be joined in 2015-16 by 6'5 center Natalie Butler,
3: the Big East East Freshman of
0: the Year last season at Georgetown, who transferred to UConn last week. So once again, they're getting taller, the wealthy get wealthier, wealthier, etc.
2: But they, longer, taller, faster, but
3: they can shoot better, they're quicker all now, over the place. But
0: be, the, the
1: other key to that, wow. more than anything else, that's an experienced ball player that's coming in with a bunch of freshmen. That's going to be the leadership. That's, that's yeah. going to be a leadership role, and that is where they oh, can really oh get no, dangerous. But the kicker that's is that's where they
2: really get dangerous. The kicker the, is excellent, this. Excellent
0: point. Brianna Stewart will just be a will be a senior. Next year, when all this talent comes back, comes yeah. to join the Huskies. Yeah. So, Because Brianna Stewart but is just a gonna, junior this she's year. She's going to allow
2: and, the lead, that legacy, and bring that freshman yes. along with her, which means that they'll get that leadership and exposure and be that much ready when they're sophomores
0: going through the trials of the relations. But the chink in the armor. It's a minor chink, but it's a chink. you got to look for any little crack in the armor. <laughs> Brianna Banks. Decided to transfer from Huskies. She announced you were transferring the Huskies announced in a statement that she had uh they had granted her release. She's looking she is from Georgia, she is looking for a, a program closest to home. Mm-hmm. She's a junior, she's a guard, didn't play much, uh, but she was part of the big joke, the Yukon seven that teams are losing to by twenty points a game this season. <laughs> um Doc, don't laugh. Don't so laugh because I cause, saw it, I'm
2: just <laughs> amazed. But when you you talk about the numbers, it makes it even more amazing. I saw it, but you have to remind people exactly how they won the championship. Because again, after a while,
0: they weren't people get
2: the loss, right? In the fact that it's UConn, they just won a championship. Yeah, but the storyline of this one that it was undefeated season, but it was done with a team that had injuries. It was done with a team that was really not deep at all. Seven core players, relatively young. When you look at the fact that juniors. (laughs) <laughs> on there, and, and some freshmen playing key roles. Uh, so, it's just masterful how he continues to get it done. And the fact, frankly, that they defeated an undefeated team in Notre Dame that was a very good ball club. You couldn't tell from that game. If you follow women's basketball and saw what Notre Dame did all year, you know that that was a really good game. and just tells you how superior and far, how far away, as you would say, how why the gap the is between
3: oh yeah, yeah. what and,
1: and, and even the number two team in the country. And to add to that, you know, yeah. the one thing that doesn't get talked about and it gets kind of passed over is Notre Dame moved from the Big East to the ACC, and established teams weren't able to stay close, weren't able to stop right. that that, that F- train and F- all from 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 uh, uh, rolling go, through the, rolling, A-C- rolling through the ACC. When yeah. many people
2: thought well, would a top conference, but I'm talking about many thought that that was a top conference, and that there should be a competitive line in terms of the top three teams in their league with Maryland, uh Duke, uh, NCA Championship winner, Duke, that's been a Final Four, North Carolina that has won a championship. So you're talking about at least from the top end, very talented right. teams. Hope Final you would North. hope, and
0: the other part right. of the league that was pretty deep. So. Now keep in mind. Notre Dame was hurt by Natalie Chanoa, uh Turner ACL right. her ACL in the sweet, Sweet's Elite Eight game wow. and wasn't playing able to play in the Final Four. So if that did hurt, I don't think UConn would have lost, even though I picked Notre Dame it's to win. Fair. But anyway, put but to put poor water on the crack in the armor of, of Brianna Banks transferring from UConn, she probably wasn't going to play much this 14, 15 season anyhow, <laughs> because they got four new guards coming in, the freshmen probably taking a place, including Kia Nurse, who is the best point guard in Canada. So anyway, like I've said earlier in my blog post, be wealthy, get wealthier. But Coach Ron Huey, Houston Cougars head coach, has completed his staff. I think it's a very solid staff in terms of recruiting. We touched on this last podcast that hiring Ty Dillard and retaining Raven Justice. Those two women and Coach Huey look like us. And some. Parents may have questions about, what are you going to do for my child? Well, Monday, he addressed part of that by hiring Tanya Hout, H-A-U-T, to join the staff as as assistant coach. And she was part of a TCU staff under Coach Jeff Mitty. And Wildcat, I know for a fact that TCU under Coach Mitty was a good basketball team. And they played Very successful. And they, they got after people. So getting her to join the staff, she took some time off uh but for two or three years out of basketball and came back so to join coach Huey at U of H so I think it said something about her and him. Right, so the right. staff
2: how long was she up at P C Oh let's see. Was she,
0: she, was see. she over I've, any part of the
2: time doing like, her parents was over there? Southern no, she was at for a while
0: uh I mean, maybe may kind of Maybe maybe. Maybe yeah. Just curious. But she was there from uh 2007,
3: 2012, the
0: last two years off. Right. Uh, but so, welcome her. And then, today, Carly Keen, K E H N, was, uh, completes the U of A staff today as the new Associate Director of Basketball Operations. What in the hell is the Associate Director of Basketball Operations? I'll tell you. Because it, it seemed like a new role. Carly was was she came from Ohio State, another successful women's basketball program. So that's kudos nice. to Coach Huey. He's he's bringing winners into right. the staff to change the culture. So that's People a plus. How
1: to win people's
0: expectations and win. I'm I'm gonna say
1: this.
2: That's good.
1: And I'm gonna put this out here now. Before anybody approaches me about it, they found some money.
0: That's what I'm thinking too. Yes, they found what, some that's money. That's what I'm. That thinking about that as well. Okay, I got a different look
1: at what's going on at U of A.
0: Cuz it seems because to me they're showing a questions. commitment to women's basketball. Yeah, I don't hard have hard
1: to I don't have to ask the any questions anymore. It's
0: Somebody that went and
1: point. found some real money because assistant coaches that are coming online now.
0: Cuz this is a totally different thing. That's staff. three assistant coaches, the head coach and an associate director of basketball operations and they already had a director of basketball operations. So that's two people in basketball ops. So unless they convince folks to work on the cheap they are showing a commitment to women's basketball. And I, mean, I, I am glad to, to see that and say that. I and, am too. And hopefully it will continue in terms of marketing the team this summer and in the fall and finally touting the fact that they have a two-time defending champion, the elite of the elite in their own conference in the Connecticut Huskies when they come to town and run shot over them in conference play. But with all these things said, there is nothing wrong with, Spend becoming my- the second best team in your conference when the top team is the top team in the entire country. Right. So, if they can truly become the second best team in the American Athletic Conference, that means they are getting to the tournament. That means they are probably
1: getting a, a, a run in, games the in the
0: tournament. Yeah, there you go. And I'm not talking about being the best of, of the rest of a crappy lot. I mean, being Close to UConn where Geno at least acknowledges, well, we finally have another team that is competitive in our conference. That's what I'm talking about becoming. Right. So if they become that, that is great. Anything else you want to add? I do want to talk about a couple of things because I'm a Cougar, a proud Cougar alum.
3: Well, uh, the uh, golf
0: team is, is in the NCAA
1: championship. True. Uh, the, this week started both Conference USA with Rice and uh, the American with U of H. Louisville is the, uh, number one seed. Cookie's number three. But both those, both our local teams will get a shot at hosting a regional. Uh, things being as they may, you know, it's, it, both could actually get a shot and win, could actually win the, their conference tournament. Uh, it would be great if that happens. It's been a while since both Rice and U of H have hosted a regional in the same year and
0: been competitive. Been, it's been a while since they've both been good. And, uh, <laughs> U base was dropping the ball there for a while, holding hey, it but bargain, God
1: waiting. I I, I give a man job. a lot, of, cr- a yes, lot of credit. He he put he put the nail on the head and said the first thing in was got to get some pitching, got to get some pitching, and then we get to get time to hitting. This season they kind of had, like, had a roller coaster ride, but they got it, got situated, got in the conference play, and kind of like just went did what they needed to do on the weekends and all and winning uh, winning series when they needed to.
0: And uh, Cougar baseball RPI, what I saw yesterday on the NCAA website. He's eight or nine in the country, right? Oh, it, yeah. So that shows you how successful they've been yes. throughout in the season. The
2: tournament. The question is, like the, say, yeah, where, where, they, where, where, where they where float, know, where they'll float in terms of the top eight, top sixteen seeds, and whether they will be able to get that region. That's difficult though, because you usually don't see two regions in the same city. So that's what scares me about.
1: Well, Texas hadn't been that good, you know, it hadn't hadn't been floating like they needed to be to get a super regional. I'll put it like that. Well, I don't and disagree then,
2: and, and, with that, but I'm saying my point is getting a regional in uh, the same city for two different schools usually you don't see that. So that's well, well, the last time teams
0: it, here, if they if they agree to, a, a well, right right time, to the it, well, last time last time it happened, they
1: were in, the situation was set up like it is now. They were in two different conferences. Rice was in the WAC, and and uh, U of H was in Conference USA. Right. That's why I said the, it
2: doesn't happen very often. Even if both teams, uh, you have to really be very good. You almost need both teams to win the conference to make it where they almost have don't have an option to do it because you're hurting both teams. But if there's a little room in there, usually they quote-unquote try to spread the wealth. So that's why I say you don't see it. Not because it wouldn't be the right thing to do or they couldn't do it. I'm talking about more in terms of logistics on politics uh, in terms of how they lay out the field and landscape and like spread teams to different areas. Not that Texas deserves one or A&M uh, but just talking about regionally speaking, we usually don't put two regions on top of each other, which is Houston. But to add on to that, from HBCU like, uh, platform, Texas it, State. It, it'll be good that first I'm going to start off with the women, uh, from the softball that you talked about. Their season comes to the end with Texas Southern University. Congratulations uh, to that program for playing a relatively tough game against ULL, uh, yeah. putting up four runs in a seven. Contest there that they lost there. So their season has come to an end, which means this past weekend you had both the MEAC and the SWAC, the two Division I HBCU conferences uh, putting together their tournament, uh, which had a championship. And this is where this may get a little more interesting with Omar Johnson, uh, coach of Jackson State. They had a very well-played contest against Alabama State. Alabama State came in with over 35 plus wins really dominated the conference, dominated outside the conference in terms of some very solid wins. But again, when you look at the SWAT, you're talking about overall RPI, so you're talking about basically a one-bid league for all purposes and shouldn't be any difference when you look at Alabama State's overall RPI. They're not likely to get a large bid, so their season is pretty much done. They lost to Jackson State 9-8 in a well-played game. The kudos goes to Jackson State from the standpoint that they win back-to-back championships. This is the first time that has happened in the conference since 2006 and 2007, when Prairie View A&M coach Robinson led the Panthers to back-to-back championships. Uh, coach Robinson is now the Texas Southern University uh, looking for championships over here. What's interesting is from that is Jackson State defeated Alabama State, as we talked about earlier, and that is Coach Melendez who has a large number of Puerto Rican kids, Hispanic kids, either from Puerto Rico or from Florida on the team. And the other team that won out of the mid was Bethune-Cookman that he was at previously that also has a lot of Puerto Rican kids. And I only bring that up from the standpoint because you hear Major League Baseball talking about 8% of African Americans play the game, and there's a lot of context to where that's going on. And I think uh shortly I will say that that's more of an issue less of what baseball may, has tried to do, but more about the fact that I don't think um
3: school districts are doing what needs to
2: be done in terms of go. developing the game and giving particularly young people in the urban community opportunity to play that game. But that's something else beside the point maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that more in detail on a different podcast as we get deeper into the baseball season and, and that may become uh conjecture that people want hear about of some of the different reasons there. But also bring this up, uh, kudos to Jackson State. It is one of the few HBC programs that still has a large number of African-Americans. Uh, majority of number of the players are African-Americans playing that team. Grambling State is one of the other ones out there. And they found a win to win the championship so they can show that to some degree they can get it done. The ace that was on the mound that was African-American, even they're international players, which you see on a lot of teams at the HBCU level or from the Africana diaspora nations from the Caribbean. So, so it was interesting to see that. And I just kind of wanted to put that out there for the people, uh, because you're starting to see a lot of articles that talk about Winston-Salem State, a division two HBCU program that won a championship in the CIAA goes kudos to them. They're in the NCAA division two tournament playing very well, but they have a European American coach. And a lot of the players are European American and really showing a nice showing for that conference and that team, but from the standpoint that the diversity is there. And then you have Stillman College, uh, and Miles College that won a championship out of the SIAC, the other HBC Division II conference. And they also have a large contingent of European American players on their team. So to see Jackson State Day to get it done, uh, just, uh, it was a good measure for Omar Johnson because many people just didn't think he'd get it done. He did it back-to-back and defeated a very solid team in Coach Melendez, Alabama State. that were juniors this year, so they'll be hungry because they felt that they left one on the table this year. So it'll be scary to see what they'll do next year. But at this time, cheers go to the Tigers of Jackson State uh, by getting it done. And it's a little story, though. People may not realize their bus uh, caught on fire. Wow. Uh, When they were going the week before the tournament. Whoa. They were heading uh towards the place of Banner State out of the MIAC uh, because both teams had a free week. It got to Birmingham and literally caught on fire. There's some pictures if you want to look it up. And it totally engulfed the bus, destroyed the bus, and they weren't able to get the equipment off the bus, so it literally burned all the equipment, clothes, and things of that nature. Uh, kudos goes to Mississippi State, University of Mississippi. They donated some gloves and some baseball equipment to that team so they could continue to play in the tournament. So not only did they get it done in terms of on the field and get it done in terms of a a great story, uh, how the players did, but also uh, they kind of bounced back from a negative situation, so I thought it was good to give some kudos in terms of what they were able to do in conference. So basically... Quack representative for the NCAA tournament to Omaha will be Jackson State. So it'll be interesting to see where they'll be headed. And out of the NIAC, none other than Bethune Cookman. They're back on top of the mountain after taking a year off as Savannah State knocked them off the perch last year, but they're back on it. And it looks like they continue to dominate the NIAC in terms of championship. Remember when Melinda's there, they had won like 10 in a row, 11 out of 12. So now they're back at the top from a one year high
0: Real <laughs> quickly as we wrap it up here. I want to salute the, the, soft, the Cougars softball team. Their season ended, uh, with a 10-6 loss, uh, in the Waco Regional. They lost to Tulsa, a soon-to-be fellow member of the American Southern Conference come July 1st. Tulsa is, was 52-8 when they beat the uh, Cougars in the, the game. Cougars finished 33-23. and had correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of a disappointing season for the Cougars.
3: Apparently.
1: From what I was told and from uh, the post-game conversation that, uh, that you can see it at, uh, AKSVDCSR, uh, blogspot.com, they, uh, posted a game interview with, uh, Coach Holis and myself, that, uh, she wasn't happy about the way the season had gone, not wasn't happy about the way the season had ended, but, uh, they had had a, a roller coaster type situation. They weren't getting timely hits, timely pitching when they needed it. <clears throat> and, she doesn't know uh that she couldn't quite put her finger on when when it you know what transpired to put the team in a in a uh uh whirlwind downward spiral at some point during the season. all she wanted was out of them was to compete get to the tournament, and not have to wait on someone someone else uh outside of the program to decide your fate. You were sitting around waiting for a phone call because, as you can tell, in the uh, interview that was posted, uh, aksvdcsr.blogspot.com, she was ready for the seat uh, for to be moving forward and moving on. You know, having a individual uh, postseason interviews and getting ready to st- get out into the uh, recruiting uh, uh, world and start, uh, looking to bring players in and get the team back on a. Uh, uh, into postseason extended play. This evening. Oh, yeah. and, 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 as I finish, I'm, I'm sorry, and i would be remiss because of one person that's probably listening on a regular basis now, since she knows, uh, the, uh, I got the email, uh, and got the alert. The conference, uh, the American conference went five and eight in, uh, postseason play extended.
3: Uh, the conference tournament, was very well ran. It
1: was a lot of uh, competition out there, but as you could tell, the teams on the lower level, that weren't quite uh, ready for uh, teams playing from out of the South, which as uh, Lena Springer uh, mentioned in her uh, interview, there's a difference between, between teams from the North and teams from
3: the South playing softball on a regular basis. The speed the fielding, the uh
1: the way you attack the ball, and the way you attack pitching, it's just different. And Lena Springer is the sister of George Springer, Houston Astros.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, you for me. putting that in there. Thank you very much. She plays for. Plays for the University of Central Florida. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice. Gotta wrap it up with this tidbit. One more time about my uh, Cougars. U of H announced this evening that, uh, what was mentioned yesterday on Monday by colleagues, uh, Mark Berman and Joseph Duarte, that head coach, football coach Tony Levine had a, has, uh, reached a new agreement. be made it officially announced that it's a new five-year contract with football coach Tony Levine, and the deal will keep him with U of H through 2000, the 2018 season. Doc, what do you want to say?
2: Now that, that was the big issue there.
0: Okay, so gentlemen, one more time, wrap it up. How can folks find you doc on the internet?
2: Biggest place you can find me on the internet, uh, is at the Houston Round Ball Review during the basketball season, upcoming football season look at look for me uh in regards to providing football knowledge. And we'll get that information to you. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Dr. Kenyatta Kaville that's V R K E N Y T T A C A E I L. D R K E N Y E T T A C A V I L that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also see me on the College Sporting News in regards to those football reports. You can email me directly at K at C A C Agency dot com. Listen uh email me and I'll tell you the different sports business analysts I do on the radio reports weekly. Uh, some on Saturday, some throughout the week. So, if you want to get that directly, you can get that as well. Just send me an email at, k- at Q- A- com. and obviously continue to listen to us right here for the report on the podcast.
1: You can find the. Uh, Who are you, sir? I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me at the College Sports Report, J.L. Woodley Jr. One on Twitter, Blogspot. Blogger, uh, TweetDeck, Facebook, and I'm trying to remember where else I am, cause I'm all, oh, uh, no, I I think that's it. That, uh, you can find me all that, uh, it's all online. Oh, and by the way, next month I will have an announcement of a, another addition to where you can find me at on a media outlet here in town, locally.
0: Outstanding, sir. I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review website is www.houstonroundballreview as well as www.thehrr.com I'm on YouTube at Houston Round Ball Review Instagram at Houston Round Ball Review Twitter at THEHR Review we have our podcast page on Facebook KD5th Walkhead and Doc Podcast on Facebook. Look for that and we'll start posting questions and we'll try to answer those in upcoming podcasts. Uh, the podcasts are on iTunes and I want to say this. I won't get into numbers, but our last podcast had the most hits, views, sound, listens that we've had to date. So, uh, we're growing. Thank Somebody you very much. Thank you very much for the support. Thank you for telling your friends about it. Thank you for the tweets. Thank you for the retweets. Thank you for listening on SoundCloud.com. Thank you for listening on iTunes. Thank you for listening for directly through my website. We have not forgot about the World Cup. That's coming up. We'll have uh, my co-worker talking about that soon. So look forward to that. Uh, as I wrap it up, well, we talk about a lot in this podcast. Thank you very much, fellas, for your insight and your, in, and your opinions.
3: We do what we can to contribute.
0: And it's greatly appreciated. In
3: conclusion, be true, be cool, And do more.